Well, good morning. Always good to come back to Bethel and to see that there's some younger men who are taking responsibilities. What a blessing that is. Because we don't have young men to, younger people to uh, carry on. This will be a dying church. So uh, 21 years makes a lot of difference. A lot of things have happened since we left Bethel 21 years, almost 21 years ago. <clears throat> like I said, I, I appreciate the fact that there's uh, young men to fill in the gaps, take care of things. Church can go on. I uh, uh, appreciate that. Also realize, and I suppose you realize that also, that we can look back and think of some people that we lost, somehow fell through the cracks, and uh, how sad that is. A number of weeks ago, I preached a message at, at Floyd. I titled it, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, especially directed to young people. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> using Samson as an example of a wasted life uh, could have started out so well. If, uh, but something happened, and the question is, you know, what happened? What took place that uh, he ended up where he ended up? It's good for us to stop and think about it. Uh, after that message, uh, I had a couple responses from young people. One was a letter from one of the girls, I think, I'm not sure who it was, who asked whether we couldn't have some more teaching to young people, uh, direction, how to make it in life how to make good choices, and so on. And as a result of that, I uh, just got to thinking about young people are at a crossroad. And, uh, you know, there's so many voices out there that to get their attention. They have that uh, old flesh to deal with, first of all, and then they have their conscience to deal with. You know, the, the flesh and the conscience probably don't say the same thing the parents and the church perhaps is what helped develop that conscience. And, uh, but then there's a world out there too that is, is, is trying to get their attention. And so they have all this coming in and they're at a crossroad as to what they're going to decide what they're going to do. And it can be very confusing at times. And uh, <clears throat> what shall I believe? What is right? And my desire has been throughout the years to somehow help not only young people, but especially young people uh, in this, this time of life, this critical time of life, to make good choices. And uh, so they end up at the right place. <clears throat> um, to have good values and uh, serve the Lord. Um, you know, when times are confusing, it's important to stop and really analyze life and say, somewhere along the line, say, I choose to trust God. It's a choice I'm going to make. I'm going to trust God. 
Uh, and I take that, that's the title of my message, I Will Trust Him. But I take that from a passage of Job's in, uh, <clears throat> where he said, um, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Uh, Job was in confusion in chapter 10. This is, chapter, by the way, chapter 13, verse 15. And Job, Job chapter 10, he said, I'm full of confusion. My mind is telling me one thing. My mind is telling me that everything is right between me and the Lord as far as I know. My wife is telling me something else. My friends are telling me something else. And God isn't saying anything. And I'm confused. And at that, at that critical point, he said, though he slay me, I will trust him. And that's a point that young people should come to, all of us should come to, to that place. I will trust him. He's the only one that's truly trustworthy. That he can be trusted. Life can get very, very confusing. And we don't always know what's going on. Uh, some time ago, going through my experience with the two back operations. I was in tremendous pain and the only way I could get relief was to crawl in a tub of real hot water as hot as I could stand it. And, uh, you know, we'd had an anointing service. I know people were praying. I was praying. People were praying. And it uh, seemed like God wasn't doing anything. And uh, I remember feeling like I was in a dark hole and there was just no light anywhere. And uh, I think I went through a, a period of depression. But I got to the place where I just knew I had to say, I will trust you. I'm going to trust you, regardless. And God has been very, very good. My challenge is to all of us here that we be here for our young people especially in this critical time of their life. That we be there to support them, we be there to pray for them, we be there to be examples to them and uh, to help them to find the right way and to make the right choices. Uh, I know that every person makes their own choices, we can't make them form, uh, but uh, we can we can be there to, to support them, to lift up their hands. We can be there to encourage them to make good choices. I don't think I'll ever forget uh, the first time that I was responsible for a week of revival meetings in the <clears throat> little country church, Kansas. And uh, they had a couple young people. And uh, there was one boy there particularly that after the service, he often would come to me and start sharing with me about some issues in his life. And uh, anyway, the, on Saturday night, I spoke especially to young people. And I said, uh, I, at the close, I gave an invitation. How many of you young people would like to rise to your feet and come forward? And by that saying that I determined by the grace of God to go on with God to follow God and to love God and to serve God. 
and three young people responded that night and came forward. I thought I would try to encourage those young people. So I said, how many of you adults out there will rise to your feet? And by that saying, I'm going to pray for these young people. I'm going to support these young people. Only one mother stood. I was going to have them turn and look at all the support they had. I didn't have them turn around. It wasn't long afterward I found out that young boy left the church. I found out one of the girls started dating a non-Christian and married, I don't forget if it's a divorced man, but some unfortunate situation. I'm not sure about the third one. But could it have been different, folks? It couldn't have been different. If they'd rallied around those young people and prayed for them and encouraged them. I say again, I know that everybody makes their own choices and I can't make them for you and you can't make them for me, but could it have been different? Could it have been different? And I know the Bible predicted this, but could it have been different when Judas went to the chief priests and he said, I've sinned. And they would have said, you know, Judas, we know an answer for the sin problem. We know what it takes to have your sins forgiven. Instead of that, they said, that's your problem. And you know how it ended up. Jesus said it would have been better for that man if he'd have never been born. What a sad, sad case. Life is like a race. In Hebrews, it, de it defines life like a race. Something that takes effort. Something that takes determination. Something that takes perseverance. Like a race. In Hebrews 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Life is like a race. And it's the kind of race that's a life and death matter. You see, the reward is not in the middle of the race. The reward is at the end of the race. I have to keep that in mind in this race of life. The reward is at the end. Right in the middle, there's the sweat, there's the, there's the fatigue, and all involved in trying to run that race. Remembering the war reward is at the end. He said that we're compass, accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I think he was talking about those people that were he mentioned in chapter 11, those heroes, what we call the heroes of faith, who just trusted God, even though they couldn't always understand what was going on. He mentions quite a few people in this chapter of uh, people that trusted God and just said, I'm going to trust him. One was Noah. It says that by faith Noah being warned of things not seen, 
God had told Noah that there was going to be a flood that's going to destroy the whole world. Now, my understanding is that Noah probably had never seen rain before. At least the Bible talks about God sending a mist to water the earth. So I don't know how Noah, how Noah just simply trusted God. I don't know what rain is, God. Uh, and I still don't understand rain. Maybe you do. But evidently there's tons of water up there in some form. And uh, why doesn't it all come down in one big drop and drowned us all rather than coming down a little droplets. I don't know. I, I, I haven't figured that out. Maybe some of you know how that works. But I wonder in the hundred years he was building that ark, how many times that Noah was tested and to ask God, uh, question God, God, is this really what you want me to do? Does this really make sense? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but I I wouldn't be surprised that the surrounding people uh, laughed at him, criticized him, and uh, maybe even his boys questioned him sometimes. Dad, is this really is this really the thing to do? But Noah probably said, if he was tested, I will trust God. I'm just going to trust God. Abraham was another one that he mentions in chapter 11. And I suppose one of the greatest tests for Abraham was when God asked him to take his son and sacrifice him. The very son that God had said that he was going to send that would be the beginning of, of a tribe of people, beginning of a kingdom that would bless the whole world. And Isaac would be the the instigator, the beginning of that. And yet God says, you take that boy and sacrifice him. What a test. But evidently Abraham said, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Somebody said, and I don't know how to qualify this or how to but said that he thought that probably when Abraham built that altar up there on that mountain, that he crawled on the altar first himself. I don't know, but at least in his heart. In his heart he did. I'm going to trust you, God. You said that it would be through Isaac that the whole world would be blessed. So I'm going to trust maybe you can raise him up from the dead or whatever. I will trust you. What a challenge. Here in this passage, he said, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, weights. Suggesting that this run, this race that we run that we lay aside anything that would hinder us in this race. Anything that would keep us, would rob us from our love for God, rob us from our, uh, our goal of reaching the, the, the reward. Anything. Anyway. 
numbers of years ago now, our son Calvin was working at Arimond, milking cows. Calvin liked to play basketball with his brothers and neighbor boys. And so he decided that those three hours of milking, that he would wear weights just to strengthen his legs. And uh, so he would do that. One weekend, the young people had a hayride. And uh, after, afterward, uh, they took the wagon out in the bull pasture. They were fattening bulls out to the bull pasture and swept it off, straw or hay or whatever it was. And afterward, one of the girls said she lost her wristwatch. Couldn't find it. So on Monday evening after milking, Calvin decided that he would go out in the bull pasture and see if he could find this watch for this girl. See if it got swept off the wagon. He says when he crawled under the fence, he thought about it, oh, I've got these weights on. But uh, he thought he could handle it all right. About that time, a big bull knocked him down. He said a lot of things went through his mind. Papa and Mama are coming home from Canada from a week of meetings, and they'll come home, and I'm not there, and they'll check with the farm, and say, well, he left here, and um, they'll find my mangled body out there in the bull pasture. A younger bull distracted this big bull and he managed to crawl under the fence and get out. Almost, he lost his life because of weights. That would have been tragic, but even more tragic is when we allow things of this world to rob us of our interest, our love for God, our interest in the things of God, and to get us off track and we start down the wrong road. Weights could be a lot of things. I told, I told our youth leaders recently that perhaps uh, we should have once in a while, and we should do that as a church too, I suppose, once in a while have a book burning. Just things that are weights. Things that, that we don't keep us from having time with God, keep us from having any interest in the things of God, keep us from church attendance or whatever, keep us from reading the Bible and praying as we ought. You know, things just take our time and take our love away. We should bring them together and have a book burning. CDs, electronic gadgets, whatever. And books and toys and whatever robs us of our love for God. I think God would want us to stop and analyze our lives just to see where we are and help us to see where we are. He knows where we are, but help us to see where we are. What is the besetting sin that he talks about here in this passage in Hebrews 12? 
the sin which does so easily beset us, I think it's simply a lack of faith. Lack of trusting God. You see, true faith allows us to step out in the fog, and we don't know where it's going to take us. But allows us to step out in the fog and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Uh, you're leading me this direction. You're asking me to go this way. And I don't know what's out there. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I will trust you. Like the priests, God had told them to cross the Jordan River and lead the people across the Jordan. But the way I understand the Bible, that the Jordan River was flooded at the time. And so as they approached the Jordan River, it kept right on flowing. They came within a hundred feet of the Jordan River and it still was flowing. They came within five feet of the Jordan River and it still was flowing, but God said, cross the Jordan. My understanding is correct. It wasn't until their feet touched the water that it, it parted and they could cross Jordan. Sometimes it's like that in life. God asks us to go this certain direction and do this certain thing. We can't see how we can do it. It looks impossible. But we say, God, I will trust you. Your life is not an easy road. Never promised to be an easy road. But he did promise, guarantee, that he would be there with us and that we can trust him. Just give ourselves over to him and trust him. You see, in Job's situation, Job couldn't understand, but God had a bigger picture. And today we would be... Uh, limited if we didn't have Job's experience. How many people have been blessed with the fact of, of being able, because of Job's situation, be able to see behind the scene what was going on? And uh, if Job would have known that, God would have told Job, okay, Job, I'm going to use you as an example. Thousands and thousands of people through the years are going to bless you for your faith, for you just hanging in there, for your commitment that you're going to, even though I, I bring all kinds of things in your life, even though I slay you, I'm, you said you're going to trust me. Job would have known that. He probably would have been, been willing to go through with that. You see, our enemy, the enemy of our soul, doesn't tell us the end of things. Doesn't show us the end of things when we take his way. When we make wrong choices. Imagine Lot with me. Lot had lived with Abraham for numbers of years. He knew what famine was all about. He'd experienced it. Now they'd come back. And now they were back in the promised land. But their herds had gotten so big that Abraham said, you know, we this land just can't handle everybody. Let's separate. You know the story. 
The Bible says that Lot looked down over the valley of Sodom and it said it looked like the garden of God. Beautiful. Probably no famines down there. And so he chose what he looked like the best choice, humanly speaking. No famines. But he soon found out there's a famine that's more serious than lack of water, and that's a famine of the heart. He said he, he uh, Peter says he vexed his righteous soul from day to day by the things he heard and saw. What a terrible way to live. With a guilty conscience, probably, with recognizing that what I see and what's going on here is not God's way. It's not the way that Abraham taught. <laughs> Tormented his conscience. And he finally lost it all. I feel sorry for that man. You know, it's one thing to see the world go the wrong way. It's another thing to see your own child going the wrong way. If you want to touch the heart of a father, touch his son. When your children go the wrong way and, and ignore your teaching and your values, turn their back on what you tried to teach them and what you tried to show them how to live, well, that's heartbreaking. He vexed his righteous soul. Can you imagine with me, oh, Isaac? I mean, yes, uh, no. Lot, I meant to say. Sitting there outside his cave. His wife is gone. All his children gone except two daughters. And there's two little boys running around outside the cave. Two little naughty boys. And he says, you know what these boys need is a father. Then he realizes, yeah, I'm the father. I'm the father. Can you imagine how that must have felt? All because he started down the wrong road, made the wrong choice back there. That brought him where he was. Yes, life can be tough. Not always easy. God never promised it would be. He did promise that we can make it by his grace. Paul said life can be very, very tough. In Second Corinthians, probably one of his most personal letters, he talks about some of those tough things that he experienced. He says, there was a time when I despaired of life. It was so tough. In chapter 12, interesting passage. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, chapter 4. 
Second Corinthians chapter 4. As we are troubled on every side, is Paul talking, but we're yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Paul says, life can be tough. Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed. You know, I don't understand life. I don't know what's going on. But we're not in despair because we've decided to trust God. Some years ago, I ran across a person who was talking about this passage. And he made an interesting statement, and I, I can't verify it. I wish often I'd have uh, kept that little article. Uh, he said that what Paul uses here in this passage in Greek was Greek athletic terms. He said that where Paul said we are troubled on every side yet not distressed, he said that we are pressed down, but we're not pinned down. Kind of like wrestling. Understand that if you want to get win the wrestling match, you have to pin the other person down. When we were boys, when we wrestled, we just said, say uncle, and uh, that meant I'm through, I'm finished. Paul said, I may be pressed down, but I'm not pinned down. This person said, where it says perplexed, but not in despair, said it, it uh, there appears to be no way, but there's got to be a way, because God said there would be a way. Maybe a little like a football game. I, I don't understand football. But there's big fellows out there on the on the on the court football field, and uh, two two teams, one ball, both want the same ball, and both want to get it at the opposite ends, and they almost kill each other to do it. That's about all I know about football. I say, well, you know, the footballs aren't that expensive. Why not get both teams a ball? So they don't have to fight over it, but I guess that wouldn't be football, would it? Paul said that may, it looks like there's no way, but there's got to be a way. God said there would be a way. But you got to trust me. This person said persecuted but not forsaken had the idea that I may be behind, but I'm not quitting the race. Reminds me, the year that I spent here in school helping out, we decided one day that we would have races for the boys. And uh, we had races for the big boys, and then a race for the middle-sized boys, and then a race for the little boys. And if I remember correctly, we were to run around this church building four times, finish the race. 
When it's time for the little boys to race, uh, soon after they got started, and one of the bigger little boys saw that no way he could win, he said, oh, my side hurts, and he quit the race. One little chubby fella got way behind, almost a whole lap behind, but he kept on running. He finished the race all by himself. Come around, oops, excuse me, come around to the finish line. As far as I was concerned, he deserved it. He deserved a reward. He didn't quit the race. That's what Paul says. I may be behind, but I'm going on. I'm not quitting the race. This man said that where it says cast down but not destroyed was I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I'm going on. What's victory? How, how does it work? Is victory somehow reaching some status in your life where you, you know, you don't have the problems anymore, you just, you know, just living above? I don't think so. I think victory has a lot to do with just obeying God. Just trusting God and obeying God. Israel, when they obeyed God, they experienced victory. When they disobeyed God, they experienced defeat. No, we're going to have to live not only with the, the things of this world, but we have to live with the old sinful nature, that old nature that we continually have. Or maybe you've come to the place beyond that. I haven't. I was at church one time, certain church having meetings, and the preacher said, you know, I don't sin every day, do you? And uh, I don't know how you would have answered that. But I said, well, maybe you're not the best judge. Maybe the best judge, ask your wife. I don't know if you like that or not, but... To say that we have no sin nature, I think it's what John was talking about. We deceive ourselves. We usually don't deceive other people. But we can deceive ourselves. In that same church, I preached one night on Romans chapter 6 about dying to the old man. And afterwards, I realized that I had stepped on a very uh, sensitive issue because I soon had some men around me and they said, Oh, the old man's dead. He's dead. He's gone. We had quite a discussion that night. Finally, they all went home except one person. He, he and I were there yet. And he said, Eli, don't feel too bad about this. He said, we've, we've had a lot of warm discussions about this subject. So the next night, I tried to clarify a few things. Maybe I didn't use the right terms and so on. But I said, somebody told me that you've had some warm discussions about this subject. The fact that the discussions got warm may indicate that you're not a, the old man is not as dead as you think he is. I don't know if they like that neither, but I think that's true. Can we trust God? Young people, can you trust God that what God says in this book is true? And you can live accordingly and you'll be blessed you start down the road that Jesus talked about, that straight and narrow road that leads to life. Can we trust him? 
because the girl, the world would have you would have you to believe that in order to be uh, really up in the world, uh, in order to be cool—that's the term that's used—in order to be admired, in order to be accepted, you need to copy the patterns of the world. Because that's not what the Bible says. We had in our Sunday school lesson, the men's Sunday school lesson at least, I don't know what the rest of you had, but be not conformed to this world. Because this world is going the wrong direction. Can we just believe God that what God says is true? Can we believe that when God says that honor your parents, that that's the best way to live? And there's blessings with it. That's one of the issues that facing a lot of, lot of homes is this disrespect between children and parents and lack of relationship. I tell girls, just remember that the Bible talks about being modest and shamefaced. That simply means not bold and and uh, but having a reserve that good men, Christian men, don't appreciate pushy girls. A wolf whistle is not a compliment. It simply means there's a wolf out there. That's all it means. There's a wolf out there, and if you had the opportunity, he would rob something from you that you can never replace. Now, fellows, God says that to be a good man, to be the right kind of man, you don't want to be macho and tough and daring, but rather gentle and humble and kind. The world has a completely different philosophy than the Christian. God is looking for young people and we want to help them to make the choice that I'm going to trust God, I'm going to do it God's way. I want to commit myself to follow God regardless. If it means going alone, standing out alone, so be it. Because I'm this race to win. I want to find the reward at the end. I want the road that leads to life. I want to find that heart peace and fulfillment that comes in doing it God's way, trusting God. Yes, we may not find all the answers in this life. But we can know that we can trust God and that leads us to the right place. Those dark moments in life, those confusing times, just stop and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And he is trustworthy. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When the way looks dark and uncertain, just to come to that point, 
our children uh, said they there's one story that their mother would tell them that they always enjoyed and appreciated. The story about their mother, who's now my wife, um, was playing with kittens up in the hayloft one day. And uh, all of a sudden she realized that the bull down below had gotten out of his pen and was bumping around in the buggies. And, and uh, so here she was up in the hayloft and uh, didn't know how in the world she was ever going to get down with this bull loose. She called for her dad and finally he came. And uh, she didn't know. She thought she'd maybe just have to stay up there the rest of her life. And here comes the dad and goes over to the hay hole where you throw hay down. And he said, uh, jump and I'll catch you. That was a long ways down there. But what he was saying is, just trust me. Just jump. And I'll catch you. That was the promise. That's what God wants us to do sometimes. Just jump. And he'll catch us, he says. That's trust. Well, by the way, she jumped. She's here today. Yes, the bull didn't get her because her father came. Invited her to jump and just trust him. He took care of it all. May God bless you. Young and old, when life gets difficult and confusing, just stop and say, God, I'm going to trust you.